What if he's out there eating individual parts of our <laughs> Just licking each food. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popular Science's Tecathlon, tech news through games, trivia, and usually friendly competitions. I'm your host, Jason Letterman, and playing along with me today are Corinne, Extra Pickles Iosio. They're the best part of the burger. That's objectively false. You are so wrong. We can fight about it later. Deal. Stan, hoarder of Taco Bell sauce packets, Horacek. I've also got considerable holdings in Baja Blast. (laughs) (laughs) And Rob, synthetic nutrition replacement tablets, Verger. I eat synthetic tablets because I'm a synthetic life form. (laughs) Rob is a robot, everybody. It's true. In case you missed the memo. (laughs) Before we start this week's Decathlon Decathlon, this coming weekend is the final episode of Game of Thrones, which will be one of the biggest streaming content events of all time. People everywhere will be looking forward to plunking down in front of their TVs, firing up the HBO Go account they mooch off of their parents, and ordering some takeout. In honor of that wonderfully slothful event, I've come up with a game called the Delivery Derby. We're all going to use a food delivery app of our choice and order our lunch. The person whose order arrives first will be the winner, and your prize is your lunch. You can order through any popular app that you like or a restaurant's own online ordering function, but it has to be hot food, so you can't use TaskRabbit to order a candy bar. We'd also agreed no scheduling ahead of time. So our intern Alex is here. Alex, say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. You have a very important job. You are going to be the person who collects our lunches and writes down the time that they arrive so we know which got here first and how long it took. There's two egg rolls in it for you, Alex, if you help me cheat. I'll get back to you on that. All right. We all have our orders queued up on our phones. The time right now is exactly 12 o'clock noon. So hit the button in three, two, one, order. Alex will be back at the end of the show to let us know the results of the delivery derby. With the Delivery Derby officially underway, let's get into the Decathlon Decathlon 10 trivia questions to catch you up on the week's tech news. I'll ask our panel a series of questions, and they'll be able to buzz in to answer and get a point for each one they answer correctly. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They'll also have the opportunity to steal any incorrectly answered question as long as it's not multiple choice or true or false. The winner will get a fabulous prize, not from our dollar store bag. I brought a real actual prize this week. So, let's get started. Question number one... Last week was Google I.O., the search company's developers' conference. CEO Sundar Pichai announced quite a few new features that will soon appear directly in search results, including AR demonstrations and what essential type of media? Stan. Podcasts like the Pop Sci Techathlon. Point for Stan. Look, he's smiling so big. I'm very smart and know that podcasts now. Yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting because when you search for a podcast, it's going to show the podcast episodes in the search results, and you'll be able to press play and listen to it without having to click through to the site. Or so subscribe. pulling straight from Google Play. They're not going to be pulling from other hosts. No, but presumably it's going to be from Google's own infrastructure, which has been weirdly terrible for a really long time. Like it's been their podcast delivery system, the proprietary one, has just has never been great. It's getting better, but this is a, a big step for them roping you in and never letting you out. Do people listen to podcasts in the browser, or are they imagining that this is more of a mobile play? Well, I just think that 
eventually everything will be jammed into the browser. <laughs> right. And it may not be for people who want to listen to the podcast, but they're just looking for information and they're like, oh, I Googled that thing and it looks like episode two of the Techathlon covers that topic. Yeah. Right. No, I'm saying like I Google that and what is the likelihood? I'm just as likely to click on something that I know to be audio as I am to click on something that I know to be video when I literally just needed to know like how long a smoot is. I don't buy that as user behavior. How if you're trying to find smoot? a particular piece of information, I don't know. There's a podcast for that. Yeah. You can listen to it on Google. Listen uh-huh. to a 40-minute podcast and tell you. Question number two, Google is clearly making AR, augmented reality, a bigger part of its business model through its Google Lens software. At I.O., the company showed off a giant shark that appeared to float over the stage, and AR will soon come to search results, allowing users to see things like a restaurant's popular dishes by pointing their camera at a menu. Google announced a standalone app that will translate signs in foreign languages out loud and use AR to translate them in real time. What is the name of this app? Google Go. Rob, that is correct. But that is also something that Google Translate has been doing. Yeah, this is Google. I, this is just like a rebrand, right? I, it's I don't a lighter app, this, right? Yeah, I just. I, yeah, it's a lighter app me- yeah. meant for slower phones. So it's only. 100 kilobytes, and will work on a phone with a, a slow connection as well, which is the difference right. between that no, and Google that make, It does make a big difference, but I mean, it's still like... And also I'm not going to herald this as like some grand breakthrough. It does feel very I'm familiar saying. because yeah. it is familiar. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing where Google's developers conference this year felt more like a developers conference. Like it, it wasn't as... They weren't announcing so many consumer products. They were talking about how they're bringing voice recognition onto the chip now instead of the cloud, which is a, actually a pretty big deal, but it's and also... A good thing. Yeah. It's not the sexiest thing to go and tell your grandma about, you know, she's right? Not like care. we made a neural network small enough to go on the phone. <laughs> Do you often tell your grandma about? Yeah, sexy I'm confused things? by this. Or so like, hey, grandma, did you see that new Pixel phone? Like, is that a conversation that you are looking forward to having that they have robbed you of? Yeah, I'll have that conversation with any sexy grandma that wants to. <laughs> oh, it's uh, uncomfortable. Tweet me. Question number three: Google's not the only company showing off augmented reality right now. Microsoft did a demo of its Hololens two last week. It's been five years since the debut of the first HoloLens, and the new one looks amazing. That is, when it works. What did Microsoft try and fail to do a demo of on stage last week, Rob? It was a demonstration of the Apollo 11 mission. That's it, the Apollo 11 rocket. It was good. It failed on stage, but the demo that you can see on YouTube is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's available on popsite.com right now. And uh, Stan, you even wrote an article just to say, like, I know this failed, but really look at it. Yeah, I'm a real grumpus about most things on the Internet, (laughs) uh, and justifiably so. But I was watching the Build Conference live, and two guys, from uh, someone from Industrial Light and Magic and, like, a space historian came out onto the stage and tried to do this Magic Leap demo, and it just didn't work. And immediately... Everyone jumped on it. Like, look at these idiots. Look what they're doing. LOL. Like, the live chat was just LOL and fail. And then it turns out, like, Unreal, which is the technology they were showing off, posted the video later. And it's, like, an amazing demo that people missed out on. And, like, I wanted to share it because I I think it's so cool and I get so bummed out when people think it's, like – like, what, what are you doing, you jerks? Like, <laughs> I feel for those when they're up on the stage and something doesn't go right. Oh, my gosh. Because it's like, so hard. Yeah. You know, like you, you need an internet connection and that's not reliable in a big room like that. I don't know. I'm, I was a sucker for them. And I'm glad that the, the demo was cool and we, we posted it. And I'm, you should watch it. Question number four. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley made headlines last week when he announced he was introducing a bill that would ban the sale of what type of tech items marketed toward children? Corinne. Loot boxes. Loot boxes is correct. Also pay to win and other similar microtransactions. 
Um, he calls out Candy Crush specifically in his press release, arguing that its best value for a microtransaction costs $150. Didn't he call out Fortnite, too? Did I imagine that? Yeah, Fortnite is, is roped deeply yeah, into this Yeah, they're, they're like, they're just give, take, give all the money. Yeah, yeah, it's a real cesspool of microtransactions mm-hmm. at the moment. Although I hope they never find out about Magic the Gathering because that's essentially loot boxes and I really enjoy it and I hope they don't ruin but it. But that's just like – that, but that's that's a trading card thing. I think you know we've all come to just accept like this is a trading card game and this is how that happens and it is gambling. But there's stuff, right? There's actual stuff. It's perhaps also not appropriate for children but you know loot – Oh, it's it, definitely not. It yeah. ruined my life quite, quite effectively. <laughs> I like how you use the phrase cesspool of microtransactions a moment ago, and that's a nice phrase there. Yeah, it's 100% what everything is now. I feel like I've spent hundreds of dollars on Fortnite, and all my kids do is tell me how much to hate Fortnite and then ask me for money to buy stuff. To buy it. boots. Yeah. Yeah. Question number five is a multiple choice question. The Pixel 3a and 3a XL are coming to a carrier near you, but maybe not. Which of the following cell phone providers will not be carrying the new Pixel devices in stores, at least not yet? Is it A, Verizon, B, Sprint, C, AT&T, or D, T-Mobile? Corinne. T-Mobile? T-Mobile's incorrect. It's AT&T. They were uh, the only ones who were not announced at I.O. last week to be a carrier of the Pixel. And if you have an unlocked phone, you'll be able to use it on their network. But they're not selling it directly, at least not yet. The phone puts the carriers in a curious situation because it's only $400. Which is nice and cheap. Which is way cheaper. And right now, it's probably pretty easy if you're a carrier to leverage someone into a phone that costs $900. Oh, yeah. You just get them on the $35 a month payment plan. and Yeah, you don't even feel it. It's like it's not even there. Oh, I know. I've been paying for this phone for two years. But as far as I'm concerned, in my brain head, it's still free. Yeah, I have this, I have this iPhone 8 Plus that I'm pretty sure I've paid $30,000 for <laughs> over the past 10 years. So I, I don't know. I think this phone makes the carriers think a little bit about, like, how hard do we want to push a $400 phone when we can push $800 phones? Right. Or they could reorient the model back to just being like, do you just want to buy this phone? Right, no, yeah. they're not going to do that. They make more money from the two-year plan than well, they do from buying the phone outright. Like, there was a time when that's how phones work, where yeah. most phones were free. Free, quote, well, no, with your two-year contract. Always, but it was always amortized over your service plan, right? Like, your service plan was a little bit more expensive, even if you didn't really realize it, because you were slowly subsidizing the cost of your own phone. It's just now that... Now we're being upfront about it. Yeah, I guess the phones just got too expensive to make that, to make it possible. Question number six is going to be a numbers question. So if nobody gets the answer correct, we'll give a point to whoever is closest. New gender fluid emoji are coming to Android. The set is already available on Pixel phones and is coming to all Android Q devices later this year. How many new gender fluid emoji are there? Rob? 53. 53. Point to Rob. Obviously... This is a great thing, right? The emoji set continues to expand to be more inclusive, just different walks of life, different icons and representations from all over the world. But it's very confusing to think that these are only going to be available in Android because part of the reason that emojis work is that they're universal across platforms because they're backed by a protocol called Unicode, where it's just like a lobster is a lobster regardless of what device I'm on. So if Android is doing this on their own... And then somebody uses one of these new gender-inclusive emoji from an Android phone and sends it to an iPhone, you don't know that the right thing is going to show up on the other side. Sure. Which is why Unicode exists. Yeah. I would imagine it probably is going to show up as that block with a question mark in it um, until iPhone is able to catch up. 
Right. And that's why. But see, the thing is, that's why there's this standardized standardizing body. Right. Like it's to make it so that things like that don't happen. Like Apple may be getting these two. They might look slightly different. They'll be the same physical things. Maybe Apple's just not announcing it right now. But yeah, it's just it. it's a it's a very slippery slope when pe- when companies start trying to change a text standard on their own. Question number seven. In a win for folks who aren't morning people, Google announced last week that alarms on its Google Home devices can now be turned off without having to say, hey, Google first. What is the one word command to make the alarm go away? Uh, it's stop. <laughs> it's stop. You know, I just have to say that like the fury with which you attacked that buzzer makes me very glad that you're not going to be attacking alarm clocks physically yeah, I'm, I'm anymore. I'm very ashamed of myself for trying that hard in that question. Question number eight, but I can't really say that alarms on Google Home devices can be turned off because Google Home is going away. It's being rebranded and brought into what other property owned by the search giant, Corinne? Nest. Google Nest. They've had so many problems with this. I don't understand this decision at all. Like Nest and Google got into a whole bunch of trouble when, you know, a few months ago it was suddenly revealed that there was a microphone in a Nest product that nobody knew was there. I get unifying stuff. I get making it all t- – but I don't know. Like would they have been better to bring every everything into like a Google Home naming convention or does bringing it into the Nest convention makes more sense? I think what they're doing is trying to mimic the way people think of Amazon Alexa. Like, I think this is literally just to make people understand Google Nest, Amazon Alexa. like Or those Echo, are, yeah. Yeah, because those are – I think what they're doing is – one of Sundar Pichai's big pitches of this whole thing is that, like, we're super into privacy now. And what he means by privacy is that we take all of your personal information, but we don't give it to anybody else. <laughs> like, that's the new – That's I, their thing. There was like – Look it was how good a, we are. A New York Times article that said it really well where it was like that's the new definition of privacy. I think what they're doing is trying to, to say, you know what? If you buy Nest, you also get Google. And they're trying to really sell people on this idea of like if you give us this information, we will give you these benefits in, in exchange. And and we won't tell anybody else ever. Yeah. And yeah. I, I honestly think that, that this is part of that and like where they're trying to be like, see, now people want something that's called Google because they they trust us. And I, that that seems to me like I don't work Right, but there. they're not calling it Google. They're calling it Nest. Well, yeah, but they're, it's Google Nest, right? Isn't it both No, things? it's like Nest Hub. Like they got rid of the Google branding on all of it, right, Jason? I mean, I don't think the Google branding is necessarily going away. It's obviously a product from Google. They're just calling it the the Nest Max. And I think the bigger branding problem that Google faces is that the assistant doesn't have a person's name. It's just called the Google Assistant, whereas Apple has Siri and Amazon has Alexa, Microsoft has Cortana, and then there's the Google Assistant, which is just a little bit awkward. I don't think that's a problem because no. people just call it the Google, ironically enough. Well, and also all of those other things are gendered in a way that makes me very upset. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. Question number nine is true or false? In an op-ed in the New York Times, one of Facebook's co-founders called for the site to be broken up. True or false? Stan. True. True. Chris Hughes said that Zuck has too much power and the FTC should not have let Facebook buy Instagram and WhatsApp. Yeah. Good. Only only a couple weeks after Elizabeth Warren said <laughs> pretty much the same thing. Yep. So good good timing there to ju- jump on that bandwagon. I guess it's, it's sort of weird to just be like not involved anymore. Like, yeah, screw those guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Antitrust this is totally antitrust. They got they own too much stuff and now they want to give you the internet too. And also the stuff that you look at on the internet. That's a great plan. And question number ten, the final question of the round. 
We're recording this episode on Thursday, May 9th, and tomorrow Uber will IPO. The many full-time employees within the company are celebrating. Drivers were protesting yesterday, claiming they are not paid a fair wage. What is Uber expected to be valued at tomorrow when it goes public? Is it? I can't. But can. it's fifteen billion dollars, isn't it? It is not fifteen no. billion dollars. Oh. And you just ruined the multiple choice question. Gonna, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't read out any of the other choices, so I'm going to let you guys buzz in. Okay. Is it A, $80 billion, B, $90 billion, C, $100 billion, or D, $150 billion? Corinne? $150 billion. That is incorrect. I was just going off stand because he had the one five. <laughs> it's $90 billion. Okay. I see a lot of people tweeting about numbers regarding Uber's IPO, and I don't know what any of them mean. But I know that was the most recent one I saw, and I thought <laughs> the best chance of getting it right. No. I'm with the drivers, though. They're getting the shaft because they're not considered full employees of the company. They're just contractors, so they have no vested interest in in the stock. But, you know, they're doing all the damn work. Next time you're in an Uber or a Lyft, it's fascinating to ask them, like, why do you do Uber? Or, like, do you like Lyft or Uber better? Oh, some of them drive for both. Yeah. And, and Via or Juno. And sometimes yeah. they'll tell you this, like, really fascinating but, like, super regional stuff. Like, I had a Lyft driver tell me that he likes Lyft better than Uber because Lyft will give him a, a fare back from the airport, whereas hmm. Uber will, like, leave them stuck out there and make them drive. He was like, his favorite thing is to drive to New Jersey, <laughs> apparently, because it's, like, the most profitable thing. And for a long time, Lyft let the customer tip the driver, but Uber wouldn't do that, and now Uber changed, which is good. Well, and he was telling me he's, you know, my the, my last Lyft driver, he was like, I work six six days a week, 12 hours a day, because the app won't let me work any more than that. I'm like, dude, that's so it's much. so yeah. brutal. Yeah. Stan and Rob, you are tied yet again, so I have a tiebreaker question for you. On this day in history, May 13th, 2013, astronaut Chris Hadfield left the ISS and came back to Earth. He's known, among other things, for recording a version of Space Oddity by David Bowie on the International Space Station. He later released it as part of an album as a bonus track. How many minutes and seconds is that track? Whoever is closest will win. I'm going to say two and a half minutes because I, I have no idea. <laughs> I was going to guess three minutes. Rob's reign of horror restarts. The track is five minutes and 11 seconds long. I was going to say, that song is long to begin no with. No song needs to be five <laughs> minutes. And like, Only a good song should all right, be that man, long. You, yeah. went, you went to space, and that earns you some leeway, but like, keep it under four minutes, pal. Did you see there was research a couple months ago? I don't know how I happened upon it recently, but because of streaming, songs are getting shorter. Yeah, and they should. We should all strive to napalm death. 20-second songs, all of them great. <laughs> They're like, if it's longer than three minutes and 15 seconds, you're never going to make any money. Cosign. Thank you. The one good thing the internet has ever done. <laughs> Rob, congratulations. I have your prize for you. Oh, wow. It is a popular science-branded smartphone grip that somebody gave to me at a conference last week. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I saw you mentioning this before. Somewhere? There you go. Yeah, I, uh, I threw yeah. it on Slack, so now you can put it on your phone and hold it. <laughs> Thank you. And it definitely doesn't have any secret recording devices. <laughs> definitely not. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Last week, like any week, the internet found plenty of things to get incensed about. In fact, a sweeping internet meltdown drove Paramount and Sega to redesign Sonic the Hedgehog. 
But whether or not you agree with that decision or the rage behind it, you have to admit that the internet doesn't always get everything right. So we're going to play a new game called Us Versus the Internet. In Us Versus the Internet, each of our panelists will cite a take that they feel the internet got 100% wrong and explain why they disagree. And at the end, we'll reconvene and see if they've been able to change one another's minds. Rob, you're going to be up first. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to defend Facebook in some ways. All right, Rob, go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. So Facebook gets a lot of criticism around privacy and security. And I'm going to just say that I think that basically all that criticism is justified. But um, I want to defend the company for a couple of reasons. One is that Facebook is not an essential service. So no one's forcing you to join Facebook. If you join Facebook and then you post something about like a presidential candidate that you endorse or don't endorse, and then you're later outraged to find out that Facebook knows your political leanings, well, that's because <laughs> you, you went on a platform that you didn't have to join and you told it what you thought. So the fact that it knows that stuff is not that surprising. But the bigger thing that I want to defend is Zuckerberg has been talking about moving to encrypted messaging on Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger and kind of unifying them all. And I just want to defend that idea that it's great when messaging is private and encrypted and you know making it more secure. That move doesn't solve all of Facebook's problems. In fact, you could say it's just kind of a PR move. But I think it's, it's a good thing and I think there's – a lot of things we can point at Facebook and say, hey, it's doing this badly, but it's good that they're moving towards more secure messaging. I want to rewind for a second because there was a really hot, spicy take in there that you really glossed over. Are you okay with Facebook integrating Instagram and WhatsApp into Messenger to be able to use any of the three platforms interchangeably? Yeah, so there he's talked like about how it could be interoperable, right? So you could send a message from Messenger to WhatsApp and if they do it in the right way so that you kind of opt into it and control, you know, what, how that all works, it's great. If it's suddenly you wake up one day and it's, it's happened and you haven't had a chance, like as the consumer to say like, yeah, I'm okay with that, then, then that's bad. All right, Rob, hot take. Facebook is not 100% evil. Rob, on the don't break up Facebook plan. Yeah. Yep. The exact contrary. Exactly. <laughs> he created something big and he got rich. So do we have to take it away that's from him? Capitalism, man. Yeah. Corinne, you're going to be up next. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about the fact that budget phones are terrible and nobody should buy them and companies really need to stop making them. All right. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. So last week at Google I.O., we got a look at the Pixel 3a and the Pixel 3a XL, and everybody's really excited about them because they don't have tremendous performance dips compared to the previous versions, and they cost $400 and $480 respectively. But these things are hunks of junk, and we need to stop putting more junk into the world. It's this obsession with a refresh cycle that is creating so much trash and so much waste. And some of the concessions that Google made to make these phones are only going to make this type of problem worse. They replaced a glass and metal construction with polycarbonate, which is super strong, but it's also plastic. And we're not very good at recycling plastic, you know, and at all. A lot of it ends up in the ocean. Eventually, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. We don't have to really be leaning into this problem. The phone also isn't water and dust resistant, so it's way more fragile. We're going to we're basically looking at a device that isn't going to stand the test of time, and it's not going to live on and be able to go into the resale market like some of the higher-end phones do. About 140 million phones a year get sold on the resale market. That's 10% of the whole market. And you can't do that with a crummy phone. Like, this is a really huge problem. We need to pay attention to the fact that we are obsessively replacing our devices 
way too quickly. A smartphone can last, according to the Consumer Electronics Association research, up to 4.7 years. And because of this obsession with the refresh cycle, we're getting new phones about every 22 months. It's terrible, and it has to stop. And I'm just sick of it. Invest in better stuff that you have to replace less frequently. We're making too much garbage. Yeah, but getting a new phone is super fun. (laughs) Getting a new phone is super fun until it's 18 months later, and because your phone had all of these concessions and slightly reduced specs and things like that, you're annoyed by it, and then you just want a new phone again. That's the problem. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's a hard thing to realize when you like. Why can they just make the Pixel Three cheaper? Like <laughs> you know, like computers always. It's never like oh, last year's computer is cheaper now. It's like just buy this year's for the same price. <laughs> I'm on board with what Corinne said. I don't know if we're supposed to say this now, but I feel like it's a it's a really good message. You know, buy a good phone and hold on to it for a long time. Don't right. buy well, trash. That's a I guess a point for Corinne then, convincing Rob right off the bat. Stan, what are you going to talk about in Us versus the Internet this week? So Samsung recently announced a new TV called the Zero. That's not a big deal. Samsung announces new TVs literally all the time. They're the biggest TV company in the world, well, at least one of in the world. This one, however, generated a lot of headlines on just about every tech site that you can imagine, all because it sits vertically in a floor stand so you can watch tall videos like the ones on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever other maybe world star uh, cell phone video site you like to watch. Most of the headlines about this thing made me super mad. Okay, let me, let me read you a couple of the headlines, right? Slash Film said, Samsung made a vertical TV because we all live in hell. <laughs> Boy Genius Report said, someone please tell Samsung this vertical TV for millennials is stupid. Geek.com said, Samsung's vertical TV is what we deserve, which doesn't sound that bad until you realize the second sentence is, Yes, it's as cursed as it sounds. (laughs) Yeah, so everyone had great fun poking at all the millennials and their penchant for tall videos, but the idea makes a ton of sense if you're Samsung. In fact, Samsung's president said, quote, Samsung will continue introducing screens that respect personal consumer tastes, and why wouldn't he? They're a company that sells products. (laughs) Right now, the Ciro doesn't make much sense as a consumer product because it's a 43-inch high-end QLED, and it costs more than $16,000 after the exchange rate. But I fully expect TVs that rotate vertically to become a common thing in the future, like at next year's CES or maybe the year after that at CES. And when those TVs are everywhere, us millennials and beyond will look down on these grumpy grandpas with their big wide TVs that they use for watching Matlock or whatever those military shows on CBS are called. Vertical TVs are going to happen. Stop complaining about it. I'll concede that they're going to happen, but why do I have to like it? Well, there's no reason not to like it. I mean, you're not going to buy the one that's only vertical, but, like, people are going to want vertical TVs to watch stuff on. And it swivels, right? So it can be horizontal. Yeah, this TV sits in a stand, so it's meant to be vertical pretty much all the time. But, like, in the future, there's going to be vertical TVs. But if you if you look at the coverage of this thing, it's like they released, like, the most sacrilegious thing in the world. I think this is going to happen. And I think if you look back at the history of, like, how TV developed, like, TV was square. When TVs came out, movies were also relatively square. And the movie industry was like, no, now movies are wide, just so they could look different from TV. And now we think movies are wide, but that wasn't even always the case. So I think this is going to be the same thing. We're going to look back on people being mad about vertical TVs and be like, that's ridiculous. The craziest thing about this story is that it costs $16,000. Yeah, that's also absurd. But that's just an early adopter nonsense. Yeah, and it's a specialty product. It's not even available in the United States. Yeah. 
but it's going to happen. Well, the fact that it can move, like, has me half convinced. But until it becomes just, like, an inevitable part of buying a new TV, it's completely unnecessary. If they come out at next year's CES and, like, you can rotate them effectively, like, that seems like something that would be worth having. Like, if you shoot video of your family and it's vertical and, like, that's how you shoot all of your home videos now because that's how a lot of people shoot video, then, like, why wouldn't you want a screen that you could watch that on? It seems like of all the things out there to get mad about, getting mad about this screen is kind of silly. Yeah, the headlines were just so lazy and so annoying. And the, the comments and tweets were exactly the same. And, like, all of them are wrong. I'm correct. <laughs> Point for me. <laughs> I agree. Who has been convinced? Corinne convinced Rob already. Stan also convinced Rob. I'm so yeah. – <laughs> I'm in such a pleasant mood. Yeah. Did Rob I like convince, hungry Rob. <laughs> did Rob convince either Corinne or Stan? That Facebook isn't evil? Yes. No. Yeah, I think I think what we're landing on here is that Corinne is the winner because she doesn't like, still doesn't like my vertical TVs and still doesn't like Facebook. So. <laughs> and I'm not doing it just to be obstinate and win. I just think like vertical video is ugly. It's awesome. It's World so star. ugly. <laughs> and and you know, f off Facebook. I'm done with you. It's almost lunchtime here at Techathlon, but we have time for one more game. I'm going to make sure the mics don't pick up any stomach rumbling noise while Stan introduces the I'm next game. So hungry. <laughs> Food delivery apps are growing rapidly, and that's the topic of this week's edition of Don't Stat Me. Each question is based on a surprising or interesting statistic about the current state of internet food ordering. Please finish chewing before answering. No, no, nobody has any food. Nobody has any food. But just in case, don't chew the desk or anything either. I'm chewing my saliva. I'm so hungry. (laughs) All right, question number one. I always start with Corinne. I'm going to keep that going here. According to a 2018 study of U.S. Internet users, which age group had a higher percentage of people who have ordered a meal using food delivery service? The 18 to 24 or the 25 to 34? 25 to 34. It is actually 18 to 34. It's the college students. Okay. I thought thought it was going to be people who were like, woohoo, I have income now. I can do whatever I want. I was going to guess the same thing. That's exactly what I thought. But no, apparently it's 18 to 24 was 55% and 25 to 34 was 49%. It's all the kids who don't know how to cook yet. That's the difference. Very close. Okay. Jason, question number two. And by far my favorite question on the thing. Thank you for honoring me with it. Taco Bell. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yes. Taco Bell recently started delivering food. You can order directly through its app, which allows a staggering amount of customization options when it comes to building your perfect ill-advised second dinner at midnight. You can (laughs) add anything from extra nacho cheese to Fritos corn chips to just about anything on the menu, but every addition costs money. When you totally deck out the Crunchwrap Supreme with extra everything, it checks in at more than 1,700 calories. The base price is just $3.49, but is the fully decked out version more or less than $15? More. It is more. It is $15.69. Nice. I'm so hungry. <laughs> it sounds so good. I took a screenshot of it. This is torture. Can you I'm please ask the questions faster? We're going to order it at some point. Yes. Okay, Rob. Hello. <clears throat> Question number three. Grubhub is a massive force in the food delivery game. It owns other services like Seamless and Menu Pages that you're probably familiar with. Is the total number of daily orders processed by Grubhub and its brands higher or lower than 500,000? Whoa, I think it's higher. Yes, that's right. According to Grubhub's corporate site, it processes 521,000 orders per day and has 19.3 million Quote, active diners. That's oh. Grubhub and Seamless combined. Yeah, it's all yep. the Grubhub mm-hmm. brands. Yeah. I would have thought it would have been like in the millions of orders, but. 
500,000 a day is a ton. Half a million (laughs) orders. Yeah. All right, Corinne, question number four. Every year, Grubhub releases stats in its year in food report. One segment of the report names the foods of the year, which touts specific food items that gained in popularity year over year. Which food gained more market share in 2018, bean burritos or poke bowls? Poke bowls. This is a tricky one. It actually was bean burritos. No, really? Yeah, bean burrito (laughs) was the number one food in terms of people ordering more of them. Uh, but it, it had the highest increase. Yeah, it went two, year over year. It surged two hundred and seventy-six percent. It yeah. was the food of the year. While poke was number two, growing two hundred and five. Yeah, because I was even thinking as you were saying the question, like the answer is poke. In, I was so sure. In twenty seventeen, it was, oh. and it grew like six hundred percent or something like that. Uh, the rest of the list was chicken sliders, baby back ribs, and chicken burritos. Oh, I want all that food now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Jason, the Grubhub data isn't all sunshine and bean burritos, though. There are also some slightly odd statistics in there. According to a Grubhub survey, was the percentage of couples who say they, quote, frequently argue about what to order above or below 10%. Frequently argue. Frequently argue. I'm going to say above 10%. Yeah. Not only is it above tw- 10%, but it's 23%. Wow. Oh my gosh. Of the people said that they frequently argue about what to order. The survey said that 71% of couples have argued in the past about what to order. That is 100% accurate. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. so hungry. <laughs> All right. Last one, Rob. Okay. Ready for this? I'm ready. While ordering hot food is, well, hot, the idea of ordering packaged food and drinks hasn't gained quite as much popularity with consumers. This stat comes from a 2,000-person survey performed by Morning Consult. Was the percentage of consumers who have never bought food or drinks online and don't plan to in the future above or below 50%? I think it's below 50%, but I'm not sure. It's above. So Jason wins. Yay. Yeah. So there you go. And according, also according to that survey, only 20% of Americans would pay $6 or more to get their groceries delivered, which is not very much money for a lot of work. So maybe maybe be a while. It's time for the delivery oh. derby results. Alex is back and he has the results. I Alex, do. whose food arrived last? What order arrived last? Unfortunately, yours arrived last. No! No! <laughs> I thought I was being so clever. I ordered soup from a sushi place one block away because soup is hot food, but it's already made. Mm, that's so you fine. just got like a miso? I just got a giant thing of miso soup. Yum. Well, didn't work. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, after that is, I believe, Rob's. Oh, no. You had the Korean yeah. food. Yeah. What was why your strategy, did you, Rob? Why did you pick that? I picked some food from a nearby Korean restaurant that I thought looked delicious. So I was thinking whether I win or lose the game, at least I get some like delicious food that I want. That's true. Okay. And in first place, we actually have a tie. Oh. A tie. <laughs> Stan and I are just like, Bel- Delivery people came up in the same elevator. Oh. That's amazing. So I have no way to know, <laughs> no way to know. who got there okay. first. I ordered sliced pizza, so pizza that did not have to be cooked, but it is hot from a pizza joint around the corner. Right. Stan, what did you order? I literally pitched this game weeks ago to get myself a free lunch today. <laughs> so I ordered literally my favorite food from Sticky's Chicken Fingers. Oh, I love Sticky's. Which Stinkies. I would order anyway, but now I now I don't have to pay for it. 
Well, I like where your head's at. Congratulations to all of us for getting delicious food. <laughs> Thank you, Alex, You're for welcome. sitting Wait, here and what waiting do we for do our when food. There, we, there's a tie. What do we do? Quick, let's eat our lunch tie as breaker. fast as we yeah. can. Eating contest. <laughs> we're gonna have a, we're gonna have an off the air tiebreaker to see who can eat their lunch the fastest. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of Popular Science's Tagathlon. Thank you, Alex. Techathlon is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people to find the show. You can buy our merch, including t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by the entire PopSci tech team and me, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or opinions to share, tweet us at Techathlon Show. Thanks for listening.